Hello on the sidelines fans. I'm your host Cameron Capobianco and joining me today is the voice of the LA Galaxy since 1996, Joe Tatino. Joe, welcome to the show and thank you so much for joining me. Ah, oh, my pleasure, man. Thank you for having me and thank you for thinking of me. So, we're going to get into this current season with LA Galaxy, but to start off, I think we some of us now want to know since you've been with the LA Galaxy for so so long, before we get into that, what made you want to become a sports broadcaster? Well, it was, it, I started out as I was going to be a sports writer. And the reason for that was I realized in high school that that's about as far as my athletics were going to take me. Uh, I, was, uh, I was rather round, uh, obese, actually, but I was able to overcome that with athletics all the way to that point. But I realized as a sophomore in high school that that's about as far as I'm going to go. I injured myself. I had an injured knee. And, you know, coaches stopped calling. So basically what happened was I went into the journalism class in my junior and senior years. And I was the sports editor there. And I had a column and things like that. And, and I was doing pretty well. But when I got out of high school, uh, what happened was I didn't like what I was hearing from the local university and even the community college, and both of them had relatively good journalism programs. And so I saw a commercial for what was a broadcasting school. It was called Columbia School of Broadcasting, and it was placed in Los Angeles in Hollywood. And uh, it had a satellite campus in my hometown of San Diego. And I said, ah, I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to be a sports broadcaster, which... Uh, confused my family a little bit. My parents were a little concerned, but I went down that road and uh, fortunate for me, I was able to get three internships, one with a indoor soccer team in San Diego, one with the NBC affiliate, the TV station in San Diego, and one with a news talk station in San Diego. And I, six months after that, I got hired as a morning news producer for the, the news station and in 1990, October of 1990, that station became the first all-sports station on the West Coast. So I was in the right place at the right time. And right, I was well, able to begin my career that way. Absolutely. Well, that's really nice to hear and everything. That's really big. But you said soccer so much. I want to yeah. say, did you always want to choose soccer as the way to go as a sport? Was there like another sport you had in mind, like hockey, basketball, baseball, or was it just no, always I, soccer? I, you know, because I was a big kid and I was athletic, I was I was good in football also. And the coaches in my high school would like me to play football. But 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 again, because I was a big kid, they probably wanted me as an offensive lineman and, and not a running back or or wide receiver or whatever that might have been. And and so coming from an immigrant family, you you know, I really didn't have a chance to to pick a sport. In fact, I didn't think I was going to play soccer my first year in high school until the coach came up to me and said, no, we want you to play. And um, because you work. Right. And uh, and that was part of the gig for me uh, growing up and not only for me, but my brothers. And um, and so that I just picked soccer because that's been my love from, you know, soccer was let's say you're in you're in Canada right now. So soccer was peewee hockey for me. Right. So, as, as a child. So that's that's how it was for me growing up. And and uh, and so when I had the opportunity to be involved in soccer through the indoor soccer team in San Diego and then later uh, some outdoor opportunities, that seemed to be the road for me. And certainly it wasn't one that was going to make me a lot of money. Uh, soccer was barely alive in this country and in North America, for that matter, in Canada and the United States and certainly in Mexico. It's a whole different story. But um, 
you know, with, with the advent of, of Major League Soccer, I got the opportunity because, again, I was in the right place at the right time and I was able to hone my skills with the sports station and the indoor soccer team and uh, some of the minor league outdoor teams that were around and eventually with Fox Sports World when that got underway and, and I was doing the uh, Italian Serie A uh, with uh, my first broadcast partner, Rick Davis. Well, that's really cool, too, that you also worked in City. Yeah, like a big, big kind of yes. cl- league, I want to say, I call Absolutely. it. Absolutely. Like, in the mid-90s, it was the biggest league around. Absolutely, yeah. A big five with Premier League right now, sure. Bundesliga, all those big leagues. So it's really cool. So let me ask you this. How did this all kind of like, because in 1996, you became the voice of the Los Angeles Galaxy in the MLS. Right. How did this all, from the time you went to school, from working with like City A, how did you become the voice of LA Galaxy? Well, I was doing a lot of different things. I mean, I was, um, again, being in the right place at the right time. We had uh, something that was really new in sports radio. There were, you know, we were the first one on the West Coast, and we were one of maybe three in North America at the time. There was WFAN in New York that started it all. And I believe, I believe it was the fan in Toronto that was second, along with WIP in Philadelphia. And, and then there was us, which was uh, the Mighty 690, which turned into Extra Sports 690 on the West Coast. And, you know, we had the L.A. Kings on our station when Gretzky was playing for the Kings and they went to the Stanley Cup for the very first time. Um, you know, I became the executive producer of the station. I was just over 21 years old when I became the executive producer of the station. And so not only did I have uh, the own, my own show that I was producing and on the air, uh, I was also in charge of everything we were doing. And we had the Chargers in San Diego. We were the flagship station for the Chargers. We were the flagship station for the college football team, the San Diego State Aztecs. And, of course, we had uh, the L.A. Kings on our station, too. And so it was a very big station that was broadcast throughout Southern California and could be hill, can be heard all the way up uh, the West Coast, all the way into Washington. And so, you know, it was, it was a great time. We were all young. We were working 14 hours a day, and we were happy to do it. And it also gave me the opportunity to hone my skills. And, and during that time, uh, the opportunity where Fox Sports World showed up and I was aggressive and to get the opportunity there. And in 1996, when Major League Soccer got underway, I was already doing indoor soccer play by play for a club in Anaheim called the Anaheim Splash. So, again, I was cutting my teeth in a professional situation. And the opportunity for the Galaxy was a little bit interesting because Uh, When they first started Major League Soccer, especially in Los Angeles, the idea was to market to the Hispanic market. And therefore, the need for live English play-by-play was not really thought of as a top priority at that time. And so my start with the Galaxy was really the public address announcer in 1996 for for the very first game, where they had 69,000 people at the Rose Bowl, and they expected only 30,000 people. And so that that was an interesting night. But then it all picked up again in 1997 and 1998 when I was the uh, host for the Galaxy talk show on my station and uh, and Rick Davis was my co-host. And then in 1999, they finally said, OK, we're going to do English radio. We're going to do English television. And I was op- had the opportunity to be part of that on a full time basis. Well, as you look at it now. Well, not yeah. as you look at it in Hubble, that's really big, too, obviously, for now being a part of that, because now everybody on that West Coast or everybody in MLS now knows your name as the voice of the L.A. Galaxy. So let's talk about this. What were some of your favorite games that you got to call for the L.A. Galaxy in the years that you have worked with them? 
Well, the finals have been all incredible. Uh, even the losses, unfortunately for them. I mean, I've been able to call eight finals. I didn't call the 1996 final because, again, we weren't doing any English TV or radio at that time on a local basis. However, I mean, the, all the other finals were were something that all or are something that I will never forget. The first win in 2002 for the Galaxy uh, will always be embedded in my mind when Carlos Ruiz scored the golden goal in New England to beat the Revolution there uh, in the second overtime session. And, uh, you know, uh, every other one. I mean, in 2011, um, when they won as the team that went wire to wire, uh, 2005, they weren't expected to win because they, they limped into the playoffs and had a, had a terrible regular season, but they ended up winning the double that particular season, uh, the U.S. Open Cup as well as MLS Cup. And uh, that, David Beckham's first game, not in Major League Soccer. It was his first game as a L.A. Galaxy player, and it was against Chelsea in a jam-packed at that time called the Home Depot Center. Uh, there's, a, there's a lot. There are a lot that, that come to mind when I get a chance to think about it. But ultimately, I focus on today uh, because this is where we are right now with the current L.A. Galaxy team fighting to get into the playoffs um, in a fluid season. As, as their players have come in along the way and they had just signed another young, exciting player in Ricky Pooj, who hopefully can uh, help them out and get into the postseason. And once that happens, the sky's the limit. And you mentioned David Beckham. I want to get into him in just a bit, but you also mentioned all the games of the MLS Cup Finals. What's it like for you getting the chance to broadcast for these MLS Finals? Did you ever find that you were like nervous in the booth? And if so, how did you like overcome it? To oh, yeah. if, you're, if you're not nervous, then you're not doing a good job. Because uh, I'll tell you right now that every time you crack a microphone, you, you have some butterflies and some nerves. And it's important to have that because then, then it brings your mind into focus on what you're trying to do. But, yeah, absolutely. There's a little more nerves in those games, um, especially towards the end if your team is about to win or your team is trying to fight for the equalizer in some particular way. And, for example, the... 2001 final, the Galaxy in San Jose went to overtime and, and it looked like the Galaxy had the, had the better of that particular match. But then a transition play and Dwayne Di Rosario goes the other way and wins it for San Jose in overtime. And so when they lose like that, you also have to present the moment. And that's more difficult than presenting the win. You know, and, and so, so part of that situation is always closing the circle. And if you do a good job of it, then you walk away saying, OK, we did our job on the broadcast side of things. Unfortunately, our club didn't win on this particular day. But, yeah, you're nervous. Of course, you're nervous. Uh, I'll be nervous. I'll be nervous on Sunday when the Galaxy take on the New England Revolution. And that's part of just staying sharp and, and doing a good job. Absolutely. Well, I actually do remember that because on YouTube, that famous call that you had, I think it was the Quakes win the cup was on that transition going back the other way for the yeah. For the San Jose Earthquakes, I remember watching that, I believe, on Dwayne DeRosario's greatest highlights when it was his birthday, when it came up on uh, on Instagram and everything. I remember hearing that call. So another couple names you mentioned were David Beckham. I'm going to bring up a couple other guys. Robbie Keane, Landon Donovan, Zlatan Ibrahimovic, all guys that you have called at Mm -hmm. the MLS level when they came over. Or even I believe you even I believe you said, yeah, David Beckham and was one that when he first played for the L.A. Galaxy. What was it like calling these guys who played over in Europe in like a big five league, such as like the Premier League, like the badge I'm wearing Manchester United, obviously. Sure. Two guys who have played there were Zlatan and David Beckham. And then even like a homegrown guy like Landon Donovan. What was it like calling these guys who have played over in Europe or 
made a name for themselves in MLS, like Landon? Well, it's, it's an honor, always an honor. And it's a responsibility to, to do a good job and an understanding that when players like that come to this league and to a team like the LA Galaxy, that you have eyes and ears, not only in the United States and in North America, you have eyes and ears all over the world paying attention. So there's a responsibility in doing a good job. But the only thing you can do is do the best job for who you are. And that's the one thing I've told a lot of young people who have worked with me and for me over the years is that what I did learn along the way is that uh, we all get into this business and we kind of copycat the people we look up to. And uh, the most important thing is on developing your career is by being authentic. And, and for me, I've tried to always stay authentic and genuine in my broadcasts. And when David was part of the L.A. Galaxy, David was part of the L.A. Galaxy. It wasn't the Galaxy was part of David Beckham. I tried to always embed him into the game. Uh, Zlatan Ibrahimovic, when he came over, I was fortunate enough already to have five championships with the Galaxy. And therefore, he was joining the club to help get them back to the top of Major League Soccer. And, uh, well, of course, he was incredible with the Galaxy and uh, had the opportunity to call Zlatan's 500th career goal uh, in Toronto in the rain in an incredible over-the-head kick, whatever you want to call that, uh, karate move. And, uh, you know, th those are memories that you'll take. And then Landon Donovan, as far as I'm concerned, is still the greatest American soccer player of all time. And I know we have a few that are playing really well in Europe, but Landon did it for a long period of time. And not only did he do it for a long period of time, he did it at the World Cup level. And our guys need to do that in the United States. And so, and so while they're doing well, they now need to do it at the highest level. And that hopefully will come this fall. Absolutely. And I also want to bring up this because I mentioned some past guys for the LA Galaxy, but I want to talk about even current players just in the MLS alone. You have sure. guys like Lorenzo Insigne, Federico Bernadeschi, Domenico Cristico, all for TFC with the Galaxy. We'll see, I, sure. I, I believe, soon. But then you have Shakira. And back right after New England. Abs right. Absolutely. The week after they right. take on Toronto FC, you have guys like Shakiri and then on Chicago fire. And then you have a guy like Chiellini on well, a rival right. in LA, LAFC. So what's it like seeing now guys who now current players, some in their prime, some aging a bit, but still sure. seeing them come play in MLS, seeing the North American game grow. Oh, I think it's great, but I'll take you back to David Beckham because I've always said this over the years. David Beckham opened the door for those that type of quality player to come into Major League Soccer uh, to that point and is still shaking this particular stigma. Uh, Major League Soccer was known as a retirement league. And if you went to Major League Soccer, you're not going to play for your national team anymore. You're not going to play at the highest level anymore. Well, David changed all that. When David came to the Galaxy, he still played for his national team. When Robbie Keane, who, in my opinion, was the greatest DP signing the league has ever had, because of what he did on the field with three championships and an MVP and all that other good stuff. Uh, he was still, he was, I believe, 31 years old when he came to the LA Galaxy, still had a lot of meat on the bone, still had a lot of fire in his belly. And so we're seeing those players come here. And uh, I think it started with Toronto in terms of um, the Atomic Ant when he came to Toronto. People said he will never play for Italy again. Well, sure enough, he did play for Italy and he did play incredibly well. For, for Toronto and helping them win their first championship under Galaxy's uh, first uh, current head coach in, in Greg Vanny. So now you look at the players that are there and look at the, the signings that Toronto made, which are, which are very impactful, not only for the team, the players that come in, 
um, what they mean still to Italy and what they could mean to Italy in the future. Although with them missing the World Cup here, they might have a, a transition going forward, but they still need to find players that the Italian Soccer Federation does. But you look at them and those players, again, like Robbie Keane, still have meat on the bone and can contribute in a big way uh, in this particular league. And they have energized the fans in Toronto once again. Will they make the playoffs? I'm not so sure at this point, only because of the fact that where we are in the season and when they join the club. If they join the club earlier, I'm sure their impact would be a lot better. In terms of Chiellini, I see him more as a coach right now, a player coach in this league, somebody to guide the young players on LAFC uh, along the way. Uh, you know, not playing every game, which has been the case. And the same thing with uh, Gareth Bale. He hasn't played every game as I guess he's getting ready for World Cup play. But you like to be ramping up at that particular time. Absolutely. So you're also a producer at Mighty One Night uh, One Zero Ninety. That was the station. That was that my was that station. was my other station that we ended up uh, starting again uh, after um, our company sold um, or actually removed our station from us. It was too successful because we were beating our our sister station, Los Angeles, and so we had a full sta staff that was very experienced that was available, and we started a new station uh, within basically. A month and a half. And now my whole staff moved over and we created a mighty 1090, which was very successful for a long particular, particular uh, period of time. But in 2019, that station went away. It was a bit too top heavy in terms of uh, in terms of how much money it was spending. And therefore, it could not survive under the current economic uh, structure. So right now, uh, my employment is strictly with the L.A. Galaxy. And uh, hopefully that will last a long time to come. I don't I want to actually ask you this question just because at first it was when it was still around too. Did you ever find it difficult work balancing the LA Galaxy job along with Mighty 1090? Was there ever a time where you found it like difficult? No, you know what? I, I it was weird because when we start in March and we go through November and if the Galaxy got to the final, especially uh, right now, it's, it, until this uh, pandemic version of the World Cup. You know, the championship was the first week in December. And so I was working seven days a week uh, with the Galaxy, running the radio station, being on the air. I was also hosting football shows, American football shows on Sunday uh, when the Galaxy were, you know, we were traveling home and whatnot. Would, and that would happen. And so you'd be exhausted by by the holiday season. And, and then you would just take the holiday season in. So right now, my situation is only the Galaxy. So I'll go up to training and I'll spend a day up there watching training. I'll talk to the manager. I'll get ready for the season, for the, for the next game and so forth. But I'm kind of like a fish out of water. So I spend my day filling that cell in terms of getting up early, making sure I'm doing everything I used to do as opposed to getting up at 3.15. I don't do that at 3.15 in the morning to get in for morning drive. But I miss it. I miss being what I have been for almost 30 years, actually 30 years in the broadcast uh, industry. Absolutely. So my question I want to focus back on the Galaxy goes to this sure. current season. So with LA Galaxy in that last playoff spot in the Western Conference 7th, also tied with the Vancouver Whitecaps with 34 points, what do you find that some of the keys have to be heading into Sunday's match against the New England Revolution to possibly walk out with all three points? Well, it's never an easy place to play in New England. It's an artificial surface, and you have a lot of 
European players who are not used to playing on artificial surface, and it, it's a mental thing for them. And so New England's going to have that advantage in that regard. Uh, the Galaxy do not have a great record in New England, even though they won a championship there. And the other thing is that New England's been great at home. I saw a stat today where they're undefeated in all competitions in 10 home games uh, coming into this one. I think their last loss was April 2nd. And so when you look at that and you say, all right, well, this is not going to be an easy game. We know this going going forward. It's a six-hour flight. Um, they'll probably stay on the road before they play at Toronto. Uh, the way I look at it at this point is, is that I know New England is fighting for a playoff spot. Their situation might be a little bit more dire than the Galaxy, even though both conferences are pretty compressed at the moment. In terms of the Galaxy, though, I think you, you look at it and say, hey, we got six points out there. Uh, we've done really well against Eastern Conference teams so far this season. Only one loss. I think it was the Orlando game. Beat New York City on opening day. Uh, beat Atlanta and beat up on Montreal, which is one of the top teams in, in the Eastern Conference. And so there's no reason why the Galaxy can't go into this match uh, fully confident. Now it's a matter of putting it all together and uh, taking care of business and, and managing the game. But then I know Bruce Arena from the years he played with the LA, uh, coach managed with the LA Galaxy. He will have his club ready to go for sure. Absolutely. Well, good luck again on uh, on Sunday as well as we'll hopefully hear your voice on the broadcast as you guys take on the New England Revolution. And hopefully you guys walk out with all three points and get a little bit of a little breather, breathing room so that you have a little bit of a gap in that last playoff spot or hopefully. Yeah, we'll those. It's, it's pretty tight. It's pretty tight. I think it'll come down all the way to the end. Um, it, it, it's on the back stretch of a race where fenders and, and, and the tires are going to be flying off the cars all over the place. Absolutely. And my last question for you, Joe, I always ask everybody this when they're on this podcast is what are some pieces of advice you can give to younger kids and adults who want to follow in your footsteps and be a sports broadcaster? Well, I think number one is, as I said, from the start, be genuine, be authentic, uh, repetition, repetition, repetition. You don't get better by thinking about it. You have to go do it. Um, if you are of the college age, get involved with your with your college on campus station. Uh, most of them at this point also do some sports. So get involved with that. You have to get hands on. Nobody can hire you and put you on the air with a multi-million dollar station and trust you if you have no experience. You have to get experience and, and then you have to earn the trust of the people you end up working for before they allow you to crack the mic. And so for, for me, it's it's that. For me, it's it's keep on working on your craft, develop your own style, be authentic, be genuine and be credible. So many people out there just throw out an opinion for the sake of getting a like or getting a retweet or whatever you want to call it today. But the ones that will always punch through are the ones that are genuine, authentic and credible. And so that's what you have to be first and foremost off the start. And you have to be willing to work. And if you're willing to work and do all those other things, you will find your way. I promise you. Well, Joe, thank you for those great words. I also will take those into account as well for my future as well. But thank you again so much for joining me on this episode of On the Silence. I really appreciate taking the, you taking the time out of your day to sit down and do this interview with me and uh, talk about your career, talk about how you got to where you are today and tell us the great stories about the LA Galaxy from your start to where they are right now. So thank you again so much. Oh, my pleasure. Thank you for having me. Guys, Joe Tutino of LA Galaxy play-by-play -play voice. I'm Cameron Capobianco, and we'll catch you guys next time.